chapter number four is where we're going to be, and we're almost through the end of chapter number four. Almost. Uh, we won't even. We won't quite finish it this week, uh, but we're going to look at verses thirteen through sixteen in just a moment. <clears throat> James chapter number four and see what the Word of God has for us there as we continue on our study through the book of James. Uh, we've been there, I, in fact, I was looking yesterday, I think it was back in around June or July of last year when we started into the book of James, and so we've been in it for a while. I, I thought we would get through it really quickly, and yet here we are, okay? And so uh, we, we've taken some time, but it's been good. I have so enjoyed walking slowly through these verses and just getting what God has for us out of them. It'd be so easy to skip over some things, and honestly, as preachers, sometimes you get to some of the harder passages it would be a lot easier just to skip over some things. And uh, it's been a challenge to me to walk verse by verse through this and to, to, to read the Bible and study it in its context and then to preach it from that context and uh, Lord willing to be a help to us. And so this week we're going to be in verses 13 through 16 and then Lord willing uh, next week we'll be in the, in the last verse of chapter number 4, verse number 17. But uh, look with me if you would at verse number four, uh, chapter number 4, verse number 13. And the Bible says this, Go to now ye that say today... Or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? We asked that question two weeks ago. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings and all such rejoicing is evil. Let's, let's ask for the Lord's help. And then we're going to dive into these verses together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to open your word for a few moments. And now, God, I pray that you help us to bring our thoughts into captivity and be able to focus on your word. Lord, there's some powerful truths that we're going to look at this morning. And Lord, you've used them in my life this week as I've studied this. And um, God, I pray that this morning that it would be a somber reminder to some of us. Pray that we would wake up to the realities that we're going to look at in this verse and we'd be challenged, Lord, challenged to, to live our life on purpose. This life that you've given us, God, it's for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. I pray, God, we'd realize that and we'd live it for your glory and your honor. And God, I pray you use every word of this, these past, this passage that we're looking at this morning to penetrate our hearts in a unique and a special way. And God, I pray that we'd walk out of this, this place changed for having been here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, as we mentioned, we, we looked at that, that phrase in verse number 14, what is your life? And we discussed how God doesn't just want to be part of your life, but he wants to be in every part of your life. You may remember we had we made chocolate milk here up on the platform, okay? And uh, now some of you, you thought, man, I've never seen a pastor make chocolate milk during the service. Andy even took a picture of it for me and to commemorate it for all of eternity. And it said something like, if you're not going to let me make chocolate milk, well, I'll do it anyway. Something, I don't know. So, uh, but uh, here we are. And so, made chocolate milk on the platform. And, and it was a visual reminder of what God wants for us. That He doesn't just want us to have God as part of our life, but He wants us to be in every part of our life. He, he, he wants to, the, the, the job that you have, that you, you view it through the lens that God's giving you this job so that you can impact the people that are at that job. He, he, he wants your kids to be involved in activities. So that you can, through those activities, make connections with people that you can then in turn show them Christ. He wants you to, to enjoy your hobbies that you have. It's not that God doesn't want us to have hobbies and things that we enjoy. It's not that He doesn't want us to enjoy fishing and, and enjoy uh, hunting and the outdoors here in, in Montana and hiking and, and uh, I guess, skiing. You know, it's not, that, it's not that He doesn't want us to enjoy those things. He does, but He wants us to look at them as an avenue of, listen, through this, who is it that I can have a contact with that maybe I can show them Christ? That I can take one of those little Easter invites that, that, that we have. And, and, and this next week as I, as I go to work or, or, or as I go to, 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 my, uh, to, to drop the kids off at school or, or one of the activities that our kids has, have going on. Or, or listen, an outdoorsman night. And we can use that as an avenue to be able to show somebody Christ, invite them to church that maybe they could get saved. Hey, listen, everybody that comes to the outdoorsman night on, on Saturday, there's a purpose that we're having it, all right? Yes, we're going to have good food. Praise God for it. Yes, we're going to give away a lot of cool prizes. But listen, that's not the point. There's people that are going to come that night thinking that's the point. 
But that's, that's not the, the point. That, that's the draw that, that we're using. The hook, I guess you could say, that we're using to what? So that we can give them the gospel. Every person that comes is going to get one of those little done books that tells them how they can know for sure that they're going to spend eternity in heaven. They're going to get an invitation uh, to come to Easter Sunday. You see, there's a reason behind the things that we do, and we should view that not just through the lens of what we do here at the church. It should be the lens that we view every part of our life. He wants to be in every part. He wants to saturate your life. But there's one problem. We talked about it. Your pride and my pride. It wants to take control of our life and not only not make God our life, but we want to dictate the plans in the direction of our life. We saw that in James 4, verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. What's he saying? Oh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I've got plans. I know what I'm going to do. And he says this, that rejoicing, that pride, is evil. When we take control of our life, God says you're living your life from your pride. And listen, anything in my life that God calls evil, I don't want it to be a part of my life. I want to please God with my life. I don't want Him looking at my life and saying what you're doing is evil. And I would say everybody in here would say the same thing. And yet so often we allow our pride to control our life. So how, how can we keep God in the proper place? Realize that our life is not a billboard to show off who I am but rather a conduit through which Christ can flow out of me. Well, James, through inspiration and power of God, pen for us some reminders that will help us to intentionally focus our lives where it should be. Not on ourselves and promoting ourselves, but on Christ and making Him known. John the Baptist knew a thing or two about this. In John chapter number 3, Jesus was, was preaching and his disciples were baptizing in Judea. And a couple of John's disciples came to him because there was a problem that they had with this other guy named Jesus. He was stealing John's thunder. <laughs> That's exactly what was happening. In John chapter number 3, verse 26, it says, And they came to John and said unto him, Rabbi, uh, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness... Behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John, Jesus is stealing your thunder. There's people that were following you, now they're following him. You're losing your crowd. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. <laughs> listen, the people that come and go, he says, listen, it, the, 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 the impact that I have, he says, listen, it's, it's from God. <laughs> You yourselves bear me witness that I am that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the uh, uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom withstandeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because the bridegroom's voice that this this my joy thereof is fulfilled. You know what he's saying there? Can I can I put it into our terms? He was saying this. Listen, I'm not the main attraction. I'm the preview. In, in Old Testament Bible times, uh, the, in the, during the Bible, they did things a little bit different. Instead of the husband, instead of the father walking the bride down the aisle, the bridegroom, the, the 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 friend of the the groom would walk the the bride down the aisle. He would walk in front of the bride. And I can tell you this: the groom wasn't standing there looking at his friend, saying, "Man, look at him." I mean, he's one good-looking dude, all right? He was trying to get a peek around and what? So he could see the bride. You see, the, 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 the bridegroom, the, the, the guy that walked in front of the bride, he was just the, the one that, that came before the main attraction. And John knew. He said, listen, I'm not the main event. I'm just the sideshow. I'm not the main, the, the main movie. He said, listen, I'm just the preview and then he said this, he summed it all up in verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew that for Jesus to truly be the main focus of his life, that others would see it would have to be less about John and more about Jesus. And friend, that's what James is teaching us here today. That question, what is your life in our pride? We want to make it all about us. But that way of thinking, according to God's Word, is evil. No, I must decrease so that He can increase. 
I must be less so that God can be more. And that means in every area of our life we should be asking not what makes me happy and what do I enjoy. No, no, no. We must be asking what makes God happy and what brings him glory. Because after all, that is the purpose of our lives. So James gives us some simple reminders to help us keep our focus where it should be. That he must increase, but I must decrease. Here's some simple reminders that we can, we can apply in our own life and keep in our own attention to help us to make sure that we're not controlled by our pride promoting ourselves, but instead that we are making Jesus the main thing, that we're allowing him to saturate every part of our life and he's flowing out in every area and every part of our life. So the first thing that we can see, and he reminds us this, he says, remember God knows tomorrow. Verse number 14, look there, just that first part. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. James's point is clear. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Who do you think you are? You, you don't know what, what's going to happen tomorrow. You're making all these plans, all these things that you're going to do. He says you don't know what tomorrow holds, but by implication, what is he saying? He's making an implication that, listen, you don't know what tomorrow holds, but there's someone that does. There's someone that does. There's been movies that have been made speculating what it would be like to be in multiple places at once. I remember, I don't even remember the name of the, the movie, but I remember there was a movie where a, where a guy uh, was able to, to duplicate, clone himself or whatever, and so he was able to be in all these places at the same time and things like that. And, and I've often thought that would be handy, you know? I mean, that would be kind of a helpful thing uh, to, to be able to do that. I, I do cabinets uh, on the side of, of pastoring a church. Some people say, well, is it, do you do cabinets on the side or do you do church on the side? And I say, well, no, I don't do anything on the side. Everything's full time. And so, you know, it's just kind of the way that it works. But, but sometimes I've wished, man, it'd sure be nice if there was, you know, multiples of me, you know, because when you're holding up a cabinet and you've got a screw and you're screw and a screw, dr- screw gun and you're looking for the screw and, and uh, it, you're kind of thinking, man, it'd be nice if I'd have, you know, another one of me here to, to do some of this for me, you know, and, uh, you know, that would, that would be advantageous. My, uh, my wife, Tressa, sometimes I, I think, man, is there multiples of you, you know, because, uh, you know, she's, she's doing stuff in the house and cooking supper and taking care of the kids and, and, and all these other, you know, all these million things going on all at once. And, and you think, wow, uh, that's, that's incredible. You know, I, I don't know how she does all that. As men, we're very one-track minded, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to get this done. When this is done, then I'll go over here and I'll get this done. And, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and our wives don't have that luxury oftentimes. You know, they got to do everything all at the same time, and it's total chaos. It would be a blessing if you could be in multiple places at once. But the truth is this, even Hollywood can't fathom what God's omnipresence really means. And neither can we. See, when we think of God's omnipresence, we, we think of it solely in the realm of spatially at this moment. Spatially at this moment. What do you, what do you mean, Kyle? I'm, I'm saying... We think, God, okay, God's here, and he's, he's at church, and he's across the road with the family dollar, and he's over there, and, and he's everywhere, right? At, at this moment, God's, God's everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. But listen, it goes beyond this. His omnipresence is, is so much bigger than what we think in the box that we put him in. See, we think of everything on a linear timeline, but God's outside of the timeline. We've talked about this before, and it's, it's always just like, you know, mind-blowing. Listen, He's in every moment that ever will be or has been right now. What? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how I feel. I'm like, whenever I try to think about that, I'm just like, oh, you know. I mean, like something just doesn't, it doesn't want to connect all the way there. You know, it's because we're finite. We, we don't have the, we're not infinite, infinite like him. No, we're finite beings. You've probably heard it said by someone before, and, and we don't really think about it. He's already in your tomorrow. I think we even said it this, this morning. We, 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 we say that, but do we really think of the ramifications of that statement? No, I mean, we just, oh, listen, he's already in your tomorrow. You can try, you know, and it's just like, but we don't really think about what that really means. Listen, he's already in your tomorrow because he's already in every moment on your and my linear calendar, okay, timeline that we have. He's already there. He's not just in this, not just in this moment over at the, 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 the uh, family dollar across the road. He, he's at the family dollar tomorrow and, and the next day, and he's here, you know, in a week from now. He's already there, and it's like, whoa. You know, I mean, like, this, he's so much bigger than what we think that he is. 
And because he's already in our tomorrows, because he already know, because he's already there, listen, friend, he already knows. He already knows. And that thought should be comforting. It should be a relief to us that because God is already there, He already knows. That's what Moses found out when he was speaking to God at the burning bush there in, in Exodus chapter number 3. You remember, he, there he was, he, he, Moses on the backside of the desert and he, he, he sees this little cove and, and he kind of walks over. There's a light there and, and he walks over and, and, and there's a bush that's burning there and he walks over and the bush is burning. It's not consumed. And you remember the story. There, there he walks up to it and God speaks to him from the bush and says, Moses, the place that you're on is holy ground. Take off your shoes. And Moses goes and he's, and he's talking with them and, and God says, I've got, a, I've got a plan for you, Moses. I've got a purpose for you. And in verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say to them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He says, listen, okay. He said, you're telling me, okay, I'm going to go back to Egypt, the place, by the way, that I killed somebody, okay, 40 years ago. I'm going to go back there. They, they want me to die, all right? I'm already in hot water. You're telling me I need to go back there. And he said, there's millions of, of Israelites that have been in bondage for 400 years, and not me, this one guy. I'm going to walk back there and say, hey, listen, you guys need to pay attention to what I say because I've got a message for you. <laughs> He's like, they're not going to believe me. He says, who, okay, if I'm really going to, he says, who should I tell them is sending you, sending me? Who should I tell them this message is coming from? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he says, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. God, the one who not, always not only always has been, not always always will be, but is already in every moment, all the time. I am always present. He didn't say, tell them I will be. He didn't say, tell them I was. He says, tell them I am. Always, presently, everywhere, at all times. In John 8, Jesus was being confronted by the Jews about exactly who he was. And as they unsuccessfully tried to trip him up with their religious questions, Jesus made clear who he was in John chapter number 8. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And here they are. They start scratching their head. And they're like, wait a second. Thou art not 50 years old. And thou hast seen Abraham? I mean, they're like, this guy is crazy. I mean, he's not even 50 years old. And he says he's seen Abraham. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> then they took up stones to cast at him. Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and passed by. When Jesus said those words in verse number 58, the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He, he wasn't... Just, just claiming to be a deity. He was claiming to be the deity. The one. The only. He said, I am. I am. And they knew exactly. Their minds immediately went right back there to Moses. And who he said that sent him. I am. He's present in every moment. Always and forever. The great I am. And here's the cool part. Hebrews 13.8 says this. Jesus Christ... By the way, he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. You can mark it down. It's because while we look at it as a linear timeline, he's already there in every situation. He's already in every moment. He's present right now in every place. And friend, you and I can choose to trust our own unknown future to an all-knowing God. There's so much comfort in knowing that in the midst of, of so much uncertainty in our world, that God already knows that He holds tomorrow. 
You and I don't know what tomorrow holds. That's what James tells us. He says, hey, who do you think you are? You don't know what shall be on the morrow. In Proverbs 27, verse number 1, he said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. <clears throat> Say, I don't know with that situation, how it's going to work out. I, I don't know everything's going to come together with, with our health, and, and I don't see how this terrible time that we're going through, how, how it's going to work for, for my growth and for God's glory. But friend, let God be God, because you might not know how it's all going to work out, but He knows, because He is. He always will be. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so true. You can trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Why? Because he's already there and he already knows. And you know the Bible tells us this, that he will never tempt us above that we are able. That word tempt there has the idea of try. Try. That means whatever you face, whatever you go through, you can mark it down. God's never going to allow you to go so through something that he will not give you the strength to get through it. As James says, you don't know what will be tomorrow, but God does. So why wouldn't we choose to, to depend on the God that's already in our future rather than simply relying on ourselves? Listen. As Christians, we are good at trusting God with our eternal life. But we really struggle with trusting God with our earthly life. You ever thought about that? If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're willing to say, God, I am willing to trust you for my eternity. <laughs> for the never-ending. Not just for... 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. No, no, no. I'm willing to trust you forever. But I'm really struggling with this situation that's going on right now in my life with trusting you in that. Isn't it so silly? We, we, we make things trivial that God says, just trust me through this. Now listen, it's, it's in our human nature to struggle with these things. Oh, but just realize that wonderful promise. We can trust him because he's already there. He already knows, and he already knows how it's going to end. And listen, at the very worst, the very worst, if you know Christ is your Savior, and the very worst, your life comes to an end, you get to enter the presence of God for all of eternity? Whew. You can trust him. See, God already knows. And if we realize God already knows, then maybe we can stop trying to take control of things ourselves and allow God to be God. See, we've got to remember, God already knows. But we've got to remember this secondly. We need to remember life is fleeting. Life is fleeting. See, he says there in verse number 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, and then he says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. When James wrote those words in this letter, he was likely picturing the breath that could be seen on a cold morning there in Israel. Here in Montana, we are all too familiar with what that is like. We have wonderful spring days like today. And, uh, you know, and you walk outside and, and uh, what happens? You can breathe and you can see your breath, right? The truth is this. This is, this is amazing. In Montana, there are more days that you can see your breath than there are not, okay? That's unbelievable. It's one of those wonderful luxuries that we get to enjoy that, you know, people in Florida Florida don't, okay? And, uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things, right? Uh, I, 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 I struggle with it. I mean, the truth is this. I don't, I really don't mind the snow. I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't bother me to drive in the snow, things like that. I mean, like, some people text me, like, I don't know, it's kind of scary driving in the snow, and I'm just like, 
like, well, good luck. You know, I mean, for me, I, I just, I really don't struggle much, that much with driving in the snow. But I'll tell you what really gets me. It's the cold. I hate it. I'm just telling you, I hate the cold. In fact, uh, the last couple of nights, I've went and I've, you know, I don't want our house to get cold, so I put wood in our wood stove. And like the last three nights, we've woken up in the middle of the night, and Tress is like, why is it so hot in here? And I'm like, well, I put wood in the stove. You know, I don't want it to get cold. And she's like, I can't sleep. It's so hot, you know. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, but it's, it's it, I, I hate the cold. I do. I, I just, I, I just can't stand it. I, I hate being cold. I don't like being cold. I like the warmth. And uh, in Montana, we get to enjoy a little more cold than what some other places get to enjoy. It's just the way that things are. But you can imagine James as he's writing this. He, he, that's exactly what he was thinking about. He was thinking about those cold, cool, brisk mornings there in, in Israel, in Judea, where, where, where you could walk outside and you breathe and you could see that breath just for a moment. And then it would disappear. You see, the thing about a vapor is exactly what James says. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Isn't it amazing how fast life flies by? I know some of you, you're looking at me and you're like, Kyle, you have no idea. I know, I know, okay. Listen, but honestly, I think I'm like in the prime. I really feel like this year is probably gonna be the best year of my entire life. I, just, I really believe that. You say, why is that, Kyle? Because this year, I, and this week, I'm turning 33 years old and that was, that was Jesus' pinnacle year, okay? I mean, that was like the pinnacle year of his ministry. And so I'm like, listen, like I don't, I've never been closer to Jesus than I am right now, all right, you know? And so I just, you know, this is gonna be the pinnacle year, right, okay? Uh, but, but I mean, you understand. I mean, you look back, and it's amazing how quickly life flies by, doesn't it? I mean, you, you remember this. I mean, like, well, some of you remember. Sorry, George. All right, you know, and Aaron, you know, a few of you, maybe not. But, uh, you, I mean, I remember, you know, whenever you're in school, and like when you're in grade school, you're like, I can't wait until I get in middle school. And you get to middle school, and you're like, I want to get out of here as quickly as possible. This is awful. You know, it's like the worst years of your life. And, and then you're like, I just can't wait to be in high school. And then you get to high school, and you become a freshman. You're like, oh, this is terrible. You know, it's just it's awful. And then finally, you reach the pinnacle, right? You're senior. I mean, like, you're so cool. I mean, like, you've got the world by the tail. you got it all figured out, you know, as a senior in high school. And, uh, and then you, you get out of high school, and you realize, I knew nothing. You know, and that's, uh, that's the way that works. And, and then you're like, I just can't wait to go to, to college, you know, or whatever. And, and can't wait to get a job. You know, I can't wait to make some money, you know, and actually have some money that's mine. And then you realize it's not yours, it's the government's. And then, you know, you, 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 th you think all these things, right? I can't wait until I get married. You know, I remember that. Some of you are just like, man, I just can't wait until there's a girl that actually likes me. You know, I mean, I get you. You know, I get you. All right. But no, I, I remember that. Like, we're meeting Treston. It was like, man, I just can't wait to get married. It's going to be, you know, and, and you have these thoughts, right? Um, so you, you, you understand what I'm talking about. I, I remember, like, preachers would come and be like, man, or you, I'd go to talk to my grandma, and she'd be like, you know, it'd just be wonderful if Jesus came back today. And I, I'd always be like, no, no, if he could just wait a little bit longer, that'd be fine, you know? I mean, whenever you're young, that's what you think, you know? You're like, oh, I really want to get married, you know? I really like that first. And, and then you get married, and you're like, no, it'd be, I can't wait to have kids, you know? That'd be great, you know? And, 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 and then you have kids, and then you get on the other side of kids, and it's like, yeah, it's fine, come back. You know, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> where it goes. But it's amazing when you look back, it's like, whoa, where did it go? It's just, it was here, and it's gone. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm like blowing, my mind is blown. We're going to have an eight-year-old this year. And I'm like, man, I remember as a kid, people that had eight-year-olds, and they were so old. And I'm just like, this is, this is crazy. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, it's stunning. The Bible tells us in Psalm 90, Verses 9 and 10, it says, For all our days are passed away in wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. He says this, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. He gives kind of the length of like, like a, the per, you know, a long life here, you know, a perfect life, threescore years and ten. If you don't know, a score is 20 years, so, so 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, 80 years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. Some of you understand that. The older that you get, it becomes a little bit more difficult, right? You know, 80 years old, hey, listen, their strength's by labor and it's by sorrow. And it says this, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So according to the Bible, 
Okay, according to God's word, 70 years is considered the span of a life, and, and some even make it to 80 years, a, a long life. That means, according to the metrics of God's word, if you have had your 35th birthday, which the bulk of the people in this room have, listen, you could be halfway past what the Bible considers a, a full life. I know that. I don't mean to depress you, but here we are, okay? so And if you've made it over the hill to 40, you're halfway past what's considered a long life, all right? I know, I'm just just full of encouragement today. (laughs) But here's the key, okay? Here's the key. The point is this. Life is not lived in length. It's lived in depth. And the depth is determined by what your life is given to. The Gospel of Luke gives a story of a man who learned the hard way what a vapor really is. And just how short life can be. In Luke chapter number 12 and verse 15 it says, And he said to them, Jesus is given this parable, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. This is Jesus speaking. Life is not, it's, it's not about all the things that you get. And then he gives them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy what you've got. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? It's a a somber story from the scriptures. It's kind of one of those that it's just like, man, that's kind of hard to swallow. I mean, here's this guy, he, he's become uh, fruitful, plentiful, the Bible says, into the place that, that he's gained a lot of goods. You understand that in the Bible, whenever people were fruitful or plentiful, that was a, that was a correlation with, with wealth, right? Okay, you, you look over at the, the book of Job, and the Bible says, man, Job had a lot of, lot of donkeys, and he had a lot of oxen, and, and Job had a lot of servants, and, and you look at that, and you're like, well, what's the big deal with that? That was, that was wealth, okay? That was what the, he had a large family. Man, he, he, he was blessed. That, that's what it meant, okay? So, so this guy here, I mean, he was, he was wealthy. He was blessed when it came to his finances, when it came to what he, he had gained, what he'd possessed, and what did he do? He said, wow, look at all I got. I don't even have room to store everything that I have. He said, man, I'm going to go get some more, but to do that first, I need to build bigger barns to put the things that I already have. And so he went and he built all these bigger barns, and he said, man, I've got a lot of years in front of me to enjoy all these things that I've done he said, I'm just going to eat, I'm going to drink, I'm going to be merry. And then the Bible says, God came to him and said, listen, your vapor, that's it. It's done. It appeared for a little time, but now it's going to vanish away. Tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. You know, I'll be honest, growing up I, I heard this illustration so many times. This, this story, from the parable from, from the Bible. And, and this is what they always told me. They said, yeah, this man... He had no idea. He, he just lived for all the things, and then he died, and he went to hell. Do you know that Bible? The Bible never says that he went and spent eternity in hell. It doesn't say that. I don't know. Maybe you knew this. I, I mean, like, it's just is what it is, but, it, but that's not what it says. In fact, it doesn't really mention anything about where he spends eternity. It doesn't tell us if this man was saved or not. It's very possible that this could have been a saved man. And so he died and he went to heaven. And he'd built all this wealth, been very profitable. His profitability had led him to a desire to expand his wealth. But his life came to an end and God calls him a fool. Listen, not because he was a lost man. We don't know. But because he had used up all of his vapor on things that didn't matter for eternity. Friend, this life is fleeting. 
And so many are living their lives for things that aren't going to matter in eternity. If God has blessed you with success financially or any other sort like that in this world, it doesn't make you an evil person. Listen, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, it's a good thing. I mean, oftentimes, we talked about Job. I mean, Job was exceedingly blessed. It didn't mean he was a wicked man. No, the Bible says there was no man like Job. He was extremely, extremely godly. His family was extremely godly. It wasn't that Job was a bad man because he had wealth. Listen, if God has blessed you in that way, praise God for it. But listen, don't live your life so that you can just simply accumulate more things for yourself. God's given you the success and given you what you have for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring Him glory. Oh, I'm thankful. There's, there's been some people in my life that I have gotten to know that have been an incredible example of this. And I've, I've shared before, and, and I can't help but share, I mean, Anytime I get the opportunity to do it, I, there's a guy that, that uh, a family that I knew growing up, his name was Tim, Tim and Susan Vest, and they were very successful in business, came to our church. And I, I'm telling you, it's just amazing how God has blessed their, their business and just been so successful, this drywalling business that he had and, and that he has. And I mean, it's just been, it's been so successful. But here's the key. He to, he's told our family so many times, told my mom so many times. We, we, my mom actually was just telling me this the other day. She said, I'll never forget. We went over to Tim's house, and they've got, they've got some nice things and stuff in their house. And, and she said, but they didn't lock their doors. I said, I'm not going to give you your ad, their address, okay? No, we're not going to do that, okay? And he said, they, they, they didn't even lock their doors. And she, she would ask me, she said, why don't you lock your doors? You get all these nice things. And he'd say to her, he said, they're just things. It's just money. You know what, he, he learned this, and, and oftentimes this is the truth. The most successful businessmen oftentimes are the ones that learn the, to live their life like this. Not like this. Oh, it's my stuff. I've got all this stuff for me. No, 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 no. They live their life like this because, see, when you live your life like this, yeah, nothing gets out, but nothing can come in. When you live your life like this, it's amazing how God can flow blessings in and out of your life. Why? Because no longer are you a billboard for all that you've done. No, no, no. Now you're a conduit through which God can bless and use you to bless others. And listen, the truth is this. The truth is this. By the world's standards, we have no idea what it is to be in poverty. I, I believe, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room today, I don't think there's anybody that walked through the snow to get here today. <laughs> I don't think anybody, you know, put, the, you know, put on their, their, their muck boots, you know, or, or you know, whatever, and, and, and trudged through the snow so that they could get here this morning. I'm pretty sure everybody in here rode in a car, and I'm guessing the bulk of you probably had heat in your car, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. We have no idea. We have no idea what poverty is. The truth is this, God has blessed us all so significantly. And while so many times we look at people that quote unquote have money by our estimation, we say, look at them, they're just so stingy. If we would look in the mirror, we'd realize that most of us live our life like this. Well, I don't have much. Oh, listen, we have so much more what so much of the world has. And we live our life like this. And God says, don't you understand your life is a vapor? By the way, you are not your own that you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His, God's. God, this, is, this life is yours. In Luke 12, 15, he said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness. Because a man's life, it consisteth not in the abundance of things that he possesseth. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. No, no, no. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know the problem is just like that, that glass, of, that jar of milk that we had here. So many times, it's our heart is just filled with all those other things and we sprinkle God in there at the end. 
But whenever our heart is on the things that are actually going to matter for eternity, you know what happens? It's a lot easier to stir your life and the Holy Spirit to fill you and for the Jesus Christ to flow out of you. Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And listen, all the things, they'll take care of them. <laughs> they'll take care of them. Listen, all the things, then they'll be added unto you. See, life Life is something that should be lived in view of eternity. Now don't miss this. One of the saddest realities is that for the majority of believers, one day you will get to see the, the golden street and the gates of pearl Walls of precious stones, and we'll get to look in the face of our Savior. And you won't have anyone there that you brought with you. Because you spent your life investing in this life, not in the one to come. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Friend, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, I hope this morning you'll realize I gotta wake up. Our life isn't about what happens on this earth. My life isn't about what happens on this earth. It's about what matters for all of eternity. What are we investing in? Friend, if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you this? That's where it all begins. It's where it all begins. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if there's never been a time in your life where you came to the realization that I am a sinner, and my sin, by the Bible says, deserves a punishment, and that punishment, the wage, is an eternity in the lake of fire. I don't want to go there, so what do I do about it? i got to pay for my sins. Well, if I have to pay for it, the only way I can do it is by giving my life, my soul, and my soul ultimately will end up in the lake of fire. So what do I do? i got to figure something out. Well, most religion says, do, 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 do. Get baptized, give it to the church, be a good person. That's not what the Bible says. Religion sends people to hell left and right. But a relationship with Jesus changes everything. Because the, the, what the Bible says is not do, it says it's done. Jesus Christ gave himself on that cross. He died for you in your place. The wages of sin is Death. That's exactly what Jesus did. He died for you. And the Bible says, when you call upon the name of the Lord for your salvation, God, I know that I am a sinner and I can't do it. God, I'm trusting what you did for me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How? Oh, maybe I'll put it off. I'll do it next time. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, he says this, For, for he, he saith, I have, heard, I, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off because you don't know when your vapor is going to end. Oh, I've got plans, Kyle. These places I'm going to go, these things that I'm going to do. Hey, listen, Kyle, I've got this great idea. I think what I'll do is I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And God says, thou fool, tonight thy soul is required of thee. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. If you don't know Christ as Savior, get it settled today. If you do know Christ as Savior, Stop living like that unmixed chocolate milk. <laughs> because whenever you live that way, our Christian life and our daily life never mixes and no one ever sees Jesus flowing out of us. I've shared the story before. It's one of my favorites, and so we'll share it again. I looked it up. The last time was in May of 2021. So some of you were here, some of you weren't. If you were, you probably forgot about it because I know how you are, okay? Uh, that's, that's how this goes, okay? It was in the late 1800s that Charles came to faith in Christ at the age of 16. And he was an incredible athlete, an amazing athlete, one of the best that had ever lived. The problem was the sport that he played in. See, Charles was an incredible, world-renowned cricketer. He played cricket. 
which is a game that doesn't make any sense, okay? They play for days on end and throw balls and hit things. It's, it's crazy, and the score is like 9,000 to like 500. I don't know. It's crazy, all right? Not only that, but Charles came from a family of wealth. He had the opportunity to live a luxurious life with the fame that came with being a renowned world-renowned cricketer, but rather than follow the path of easy, he gave his life to God. Most of his fortune he gave away. He gave his life to the mission field until he died in China at the age of 70. Charles, who if you wanted to study his life, you probably wouldn't find him as Charles. You'd find him as C.T. Studd. Had gotten saved and made a decision to serve God rather than the world. And C.T. Studd's life and ambition could be summed up in a poem that he penned. Many people know one small phrase from the poem, but it's the poem as a whole that truly reveals what it looks like to serve God rather than the world. I love this poem. He wrote this. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leap, and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will laugh. Only one life, a few brief years. Each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill. Living for life or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will laugh. When this, last, when, when this bright world would tempt me sore. When Satan would a victory score. When self would seek to have its way. Then help me, Lord, with joy to say. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep faithful and true, whate'er the strife pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will left. Oh, oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone. Bring thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I heal, I'll hear the call. I'll, I know I'll say, "'Twas worth it all. It's only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friend, life is fleeting. It's only a vapor. Are you using it for something that will make an impact for eternity? Or are we simply building our own kingdom? Are we spending all our time investing in what may be good, but things that aren't eternal? One day your soul will be required, and on that day, only what's done for Christ will last. Friend, we're going to finish up here today. I hope you'll answer that question. What am I living my life for? I hope you'll listen to the reminders that we've heard. Listen, God knows, so trust Him. In your life, it's a vapor going to appear for a little time and then vanish away and we can live for the accumulation of things and there's nothing wrong with having things listen i like a warm house i like driving a nice car i like these things these these are blessings but don't forget not only are they blessings they're tools that we should be using for god's glory and for his kingdom see god gave you a house not so that you could just be warm but maybe so that you could have somebody over so that you could talk to them about Christ. God gave you a vehicle, yes, so you could get to your job and make money, but hey, listen, to drive to church on Sunday. 
God's given you a Bible. Not just so you can put it up on a shelf for people to see when they come into your house, but so you can open it and learn how to have a close relationship with God. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I hope this morning you'll say, God, help me to live my life in a way that brings you glory. That, God, you will flow through every part of my life. And this world will see you through me. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for your word and the power that's in it. I thank you, God, for how you've used this, this passage so powerfully in my heart and this reminder this week. God, you know I need to do a better job of allowing you to flow through my life. And I pray, God, you'd, you'd help me, God, to, to heed these, these things that we've seen. And I pray the same truth would be true for all of those in this room as well. This morning, with heads bowed and with eyes closed, maybe you say this, Kyle, I don't know Christ as my Savior. I've never put my faith and trust in Him alone, but I realize today life is fleeting. And maybe I've been putting it off, and today I realize I need to get that settled. I hope you'll get that settled today. Don't go another day. Don't leave this church. Don't get out of your seat without getting it settled. And if you do know Christ as your Savior, what are you living your life for? Is it for you and what you want and for your kingdom? Or are you living your life realizing, I mean, it's, it's a paradigm shift, realizing that this life that I'm living isn't for me. God left me here with a purpose. And that's to show others Him through my life. I hope this morning that you'll realize that. And maybe you'd say, God, I surrender my life to your will, to your control. May you flow out of my life. All that I have left, God, it's yours. I hope that will be your prayer today. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together as the music plays. And I hope that you'll just take a few moments here and, and maybe just spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to sit, sit in your seat and pray. Maybe you want to come to an altar and pray. And, but I, I would encourage each and every one of us this is a somber message. This is a somber thought. But I don't know if there's anything more important outside of our salvation. God, you, you saved my life. Now, God, I want you to use my life. What is your life? It's, it's, well, it's a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. God, help me to use this life that you've given me for your glory. I hope that's your prayer this morning.